Welcome to the She Who Wins podcast. I'm your host, Renee Bauer. I'm an attorney, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and investor. This is the place where we dive into all of the things that matter to you and most importantly, uncover what's holding you back from realizing your dreams. Because she who moves forward fiercely is she who wins. Okay, we're doing something a little different today. Welcome to the bonus episode where my friends took over my podcast stream and they're dropping one of their own episodes from the Because Work Doesn't Have to Suck podcast. These two ladies are really good friends of mine. So let me introduce you to Erin Hatsakostas and Nicole Licata. In fact, Erin's going to be one of our speakers at the She Who Wins Summit. She was there last year. She was a fan favorite and she graciously accepted to come back and speak again. I love these ladies so much. And in fact, I would almost dare to say this, my podcast exists because of them. Nicole interviewed me on their podcast a really long time ago, and that was the first time I ever spoke publicly about my divorce. And it was really before I even knew what podcasting was. So I blame the two of them for everything else that came after this. But really, I, I I love these two so much, and we decided to do a little swap and hang out on each other's streams or channels, I guess, if you want to call it that. So today, they are coming at you. You're going to be feeling like you're going to feel like you're sitting on their couch listening to two girlfriends talk. They are funny. They are real. They are authentic. They are just awesome. And today's conversation that they're having is about getting paid for the brilliance of your mind rather than the minutes that you clock in. So without further ado, welcome to the Because Work Doesn't Have to Suck bonus edition on the She Who Wins podcast. I think that's that this is one of your like fill in the blank brilliant moments, like where you're like, if we're giving our leadership a test to know like how qualified they are to be leaders or how mature they are ready to be leaders, to ask them what their what their big thing is. Like what's your TEDx talk? What's the thing that you stand for? And if they can't articulate that, I, I think that's potentially a challenge. I mean, I think that's something that all leaders should ask their people. I think that's something that people should ask their leaders is like, what what do you stand for? Welcome to the Because Podcast with Aaron and Nicole. Uh wait, are we recording? Yes, this is our intro. So we've been friends long enough to basically go from idiots to executives. And then we got fed up with the fake working world, the rat races, and all the parts of our lives where we needed a costume to cope. So if you're in, drop the superhero disguises and the photo filters and join us as we explore and empower authenticity everywhere. Everywhere. Hey, Nicole, did you know that I actually have free stuff to help people with their careers? Uh, Is that like the free tough love career flogging that you give me every week on the podcast? (laughs) No. Yes, but a little bit nicer, a little more organized, and probably a tiny bit more helpful. My favorite is a free video course I call Unstuck Yourself. Well, who doesn't want to get unstucked, (laughs) Erin? Yeah, exactly. So anyone can sign up just by simply going to Be Authentic Inc forward slash unstuck. I am your number one fan. I'm there already. Unstuck me, girl. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Erin. Back for another podcast episode. Because war, what is it good for? 
great rhyme. Really Absolutely nothing is the next line in the lyric. <laughs> I wanted to say that for many reasons, but mostly because I'm like, hey, last since the last time we talked, the war broke out. Like two two hot seconds after masks were lifted and we semi declared COVID over or over as a pandemic. You think Putin planned that? Like he, he's like, okay, as soon as the party looks like it's over, like. He needed like another thing to just like coalesce people around. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I think this guy is, uh, be perfectly honest. I think he's like a sociopath who's been surrounded by people telling him what he wants to hear for a very long time. And he's kind of like, well, you know, Afghanistan is not on the radio right now. People kind of tired of that. COVID kind of not the most important thing. Like, I think there's opportunity in the news cycle for me. Boom, let's go. You know, I suck here. So we haven't talked. And here's your perspective. I mean, not only are you somebody that's like lived in all these, as you put it, war-torn countries and done nonprofit work, but like also the energy crisis, like you are a former DOE employee and economist. Like it's your one shining moment in, in this scene, just complete disgust. And, and we're laughing about it because... It's so disgusting and so scary and so messed up. Like, yeah. And I'm like, NPR, why aren't you calling me, bitches? Like, I'm an oil and gas economist. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. And, and, and of course, there's been a, there's actually, we both also, in addition, have had like big life events. So it has been a very weird couple of weeks. But, um, you know, the backdrop of war in Ukraine is really strange. I mean, first of all, like, I think, you know, having an international relations background and having like, worked internationally and the oil and gas economist stuff. Like I think to myself, like we do not know war in continental Europe. We grew up learning about it mm-hmm. and our parents felt it intimately, might have been born at the tail end of World War II. Our grandparents certainly, like we are of the generation where people within our historic memory not only remember it, but experienced it, right? So the concept of war in continental Europe is like, it's terrifying. And it, it's like, it's iconic almost, right? Like it, it, it symbolizes to a lot of people the possible beginning of the end, right? Like, oh, if we get into that again, that's World War III. Like we can't come back from that or how could we get there again? Plus we all survived the Cold War. Cold War was terrible. Like I remember hiding and like from, you know, bomb raids and stuff like that. Like kids these days, they have to do deal with active shooter drills. We had to deal with, you know, bomb drills and nuclear fallout shelters and all that crap. I mean, it it it's very real. And so now we're back into this new, we're sort of repeating the cycle again. We're like, oh my God, <laughs> we're back in this weird new Cold War constant the war in Europe. And it's a mind fuck. I'm like, this is not what I expected for my 40s. Like, it just wasn't where, it wasn't the vibe I was seeking. Like, I'm, you know, and look, there's some hidden comedy in this. Like the fact that, uh, you know, the president of Ukraine, like, is a comedian oh, and an actor who played the president on television. Like, it's this is comedy gold, except it's reality. Like, I just feel like, wait, 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 it's, it's an SNL skit, and somebody forgot to tell us. Like, I mean, I it's it's it's, I mean, it's absolutely crazy where they say like, you know, like like life is stranger than fiction like it's fiction and then it's even stranger than fiction like it 
it's it's a complete it's a complete and total I feel like too we've got to pause on Zelensky because um maybe it's just me because I'm obsessed with authenticity of the Lord too. That's their root of it. But he I think much like Arsinda Ardern really demonstrated during COVID, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, I think he is absolutely demonstrating a lot of what we talk about in terms of authenticity in the way and you know, yes, many of his messages are planned out, which is, you know, not totally authentic, but his, the way that he talks to people, like he's talking to one person versus he's unshaven in a bunker being like, Putin is trying to kill me. I'm his number one target. But his whole line about like to, to NATO and to the EU and to the United States saying, you know, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Like, I don't know who came up with that, but that's it's fucking genius. Here's what I'm hoping is that this is going to be a test in some ways, a, a terrible litmus test for authenticity. Like I, I, I don't know how long they're going to be able to hold out. Russia has infinite capacity to, to do what they want to do. This is just the reality of it. And, you know, the Western world is not willing to get into a nuclear struggle with Russia you know, Ukraine will have to capitulate in some way or another. Like, the the thing that I hope is that his authenticity serves him so that he can get the best possible deal for Ukraine and he can help people survive this and come together and possibly come back to their country and live a life under a culture and a lifestyle and an uh, an, an economy that, that is thriving and serves them to some degree and that he survives with his goddamn life. Like, yeah. That is what I'm hoping. Like that, that is what I'm hoping for. That whatever deal that they have to strike is that they can continue under his leadership and just, you know, and the power of people and their nation and their identity and hopefully the help of the world, you know, can can find a way to move forward. Because like the Ukraine as we know it is quite likely not going to pop out on the other end. And that's just a sad reality. And I think, you know, the thing that, that is bugging everybody here is like, you know, like war happens and then you see, you know, we're also in like a tough economic situation. Like we just got over COVID. That was a huge economic and social shock. Now all of a sudden war in continental Europe, it's like sent markets spiraling, you know, inflation is going crazy, prices at the pump, you know, and like the conversation around oil just drives me insane Aaron like I just want like I just I just want but Aaron's you insane do you support oh first of all do you support the latest oh god latest brand in the U.S. and so first of all like I I know a lot about economics sorry listeners I know this is about career and stuff but when there's a war going on and it has to do with oil and gas if you don't already know Nicole like you probably want to get her take plus you're gonna get you know you're going to and economic tools like this is this is like this is what bureaucrats can do like this is what they do this is their moment to shine people they need to make it work like all of this like we buy shit and we pay taxes and all this stuff like we're part of the global economy this is what this is the moment it comes down to like i'm highly in support of the economic sanctions in fact i'm surprised that they're as strict as they are and what's been interesting is sort of the moral authority i'm talking are about supportive or unsupportive like, i'm supportive of them 
I'm highly in support of the economic sanctions because I think that it's our greatest tool that it's it's the greatest tool that we have to leverage pressure on individuals. And remember, we're leveraging pressure on individuals more than we're leveraging pressure on a country because this is not the fault of the Russian people. God damn it. The poor Russian people. My guess is that the vast majority of them are like, what in the actual? I don't know. The reports I've been listening to on NPR, you know, one guy just was on, he's like, I had a, I just even talked to some of my family had a hard time even trying to convince them. They've been so brainwashed. They've been told so many lies that I that too. But I think there's both, but I think there's more that have gone into it than our normal minds would think because that may or may not be true. I will simply say that this is, this is not a war that is based on mass popular support. Agreed. Okay. At all. Okay. So, like, if Russians are going along with it, like, that's not necessarily a good thing, but they're not. It's not necessarily their fault. I'm not saying it's. They're not driving it. Right. Right. And so, like, my my desire is not to hurt the economy or hurt the average Russian person. Like, I believe particularly in sanctions that really hurt the top. I mean, wealth in Russia is concentrated and it's not necessarily fair. It's not an open and free, you know, market society. Right. So uh, there's like people who have been given wealth and like they have lots of wealth oligarchs and you know by putting pressure on these people they may in turn be like hey putin like my wealth really isn't this is really sucky uh you know we should do something about this so i i do support the sanctions i think they're the smart the right thing to do i think they're like the only thing to do we don't want to how much you know and you have to be careful right because how much do you antagonize this crazy guy with his finger on the button you know he obviously doesn't feel like he has a lot to lose we'll go on high in fucking siberia Uh, um, what's been interesting is like sort of the moral authority too. how like, you know, sanctions are leveraged by the government, but we also see individual companies starting to do things that essentially boycotts of their own to say like, you know what, actually we don't want to get involved. That's the more power. Yeah. And a sign of solidarity. Like again, Russia and Putin are very isolated and insulated. So how much it really hurts them or changes opinion, I don't know, but it certainly makes them pariah and like, that is difficult, but you also have to manage that because pariahs are unexpected. So what specifically, though, back to what's ticking off about the let's let's talk oil and gas. Um, and then we'll move on. We promise listeners, but we haven't caught up in a while. And, and you know, I'm sure you need. Well, and like this is a complicated market. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are sitting around like watching gas climb over four dollars a gallon. It was, you know, under two dollars a gallon. It's affecting their pocketbooks. Right. Like so. People are like, shit, the job market's funky. I had to deal with COVID. People lost their jobs. Inflation is on the rise, right? You have all these economic indicators that something fucking bad is going on. Oh, the market's crashing. Like people are like, fuck, right? And you see prices at the pump and it feels like a big ass middle finger to people. Like, why aren't we doing something about this? Like, why Joe Biden are we not doing something about this? What the fuck is happening? And like, I understand that sentiment, but the, the challenge is and the problem is, is that Rising gas prices do indicate something. And and I do believe that, you know, if someone asked me, I do believe we're headed in for a bit of a of a difficult time, a difficult economic time. I do. And I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that for lots of reasons, but I am worried about that. But like the fact that like this is a complicated market and like global oil prices are global. Like we are an energy independent country. The last we used to not be. We export more oil and gas than we use, right? We, that is a goddamn fact. Like if you go 
dig up Alaska or strip mine Appalachia or pump all the freaking oil in the universe in the Atlantic. Like, that, first of all, there's a 20 year lead time on that. That is not going to fundamentally change what is happening. We, we put in what we take out, right? And these, more, these prices are set. You put all the oil in, OPEC, all these other producers, all these countries that are buying it, like it is set on the international market, right? Like we don't have a lot of control and like it is reflected largely from the international market. And like it's complicated. Other things that are involved, it, like it's not just oil. It's the fact that like you have to get refined products. Like, I don't know, we, can, we haven't built a refinery in this country in 20 years, right? So we pump the oil out of the ground, but then it's got to get turned into the shit we need somewhere. That ain't happening here. Why? Because we're not building refineries in Chicago or Hartford, Connecticut, or in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or Los Angeles. Like nobody wants that shit in their backyard and for good reason. And so what makes me crazy is that we've got a complicated global market, one of the most complicated, oh, don't forget shipping too, complicated markets in the world, but it is the best reflection of of basically free, transparent, open, capitalistic markets that we all love. And when they all work for us, we're all fucking happy. We're all like, this is great. We got $1.99 gasoline. And when it just, when it doesn't work, everybody's like, you know, calling for the heads of every leader in the universe because their commute's getting more expensive. You know what happened the last time gas prices went to the roost? Because when I was an oil and gas economist, oil was at, you know, $120 a barrel. And then it went down to, you know, nothing, you know, that is not good for the world. Like those massive swings are not good for the world. When oil is cheap, bad things happen in countries that rely on oil, like the Middle East. Bad shit happens because they don't have money they need. When it gets too high, you know what happens? We invest in other technology. The last time this happened, we invested it. Elon Musk showed up. All of a sudden, Tesla, we have wind power, we have solar power, we have hydroelectric, we have electric cars. We, we, we stopped pumping coal into, you know, we have cleaner water, cleaner communities and cleaner air than we've ever had in the country. Like, I'm not saying it's great that prices at the pump are high and they will come down and they will stabilize. But you know what it does in this country because we have a free market economy? It spurs innovation. I agree. I agree. And I agree. that is what is going to happen. That will continue to happen. Yep. So we don't want to tolerate this shit. But just being like, oh my God, put oil from the reserves, take the taxes off. Like, you know what that does? It distorts market. Right. And it fucks right. up things in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. You got to let it, you got to ride it out. Yeah. yeah. Instead of spending $4 right. on gasoline for, for, for six months. You're going to be spending it for the rest of your goddamn life. Right, you're right. You know? Right. I'm like, let the regular. It's, a com- it's complicated, but it's not. And I just like wish sometimes I get very frustrated to say, like, it's not a fucking conspiracy. It's market economics. Basic economics. You know who I think wins in all of this, though? I think there's one big winner. Who? All these. <laughs> I haven't bought a name brand. Dude, it's so true. Piece of food in the last like three weeks where I know everything and it's like, whether it's, I'm now finally going to Aldi's after like years and years of people like telling me to go to Aldi's or even when I go to like Big Y, I'm like, I I haven't bought a name brand thing. Like, do you remember our conversation about the sun chips, the stuff and the Yes. Like, 
okay, a marker of inflation right there. Those bitches are like close to $8. You know, the Aldi version is like two ninety nine. dollars They sell sun chips too. I got real, I thought of you when I was there. One time I went. Did you find real? I got real sun chips for like, like I want to say under three bucks. Girl, I'm telling you. We didn't you. have like four chips in the bag, but still. Well, Aldi wins. Aldi for the win. Aldi for the win. I'm, I'm serious to think like they're raking in. But in other good news, so your other update, you have a new family member. Yeah. So, I mean, well, first of all, before I say the good, like, I also wanted to... You've got some one lighter she's been holding, too. I'm waiting for the one light. Well, I'm clear. I think, yeah. you know, like, I yes. I said, because the last... Because since we talked last, a war broke out. Is <laughs> one lighter? I have more. That I've been waiting for? Okay. Now there's more. But no, I wanted to acknowledge we both had major life events that did not revolve around war, or at least not yet in my family. I probably will in my family, but yeah, not yet. Um, so the good news is that I have a new nephew mm-hmm. and he's really cute and he's three weeks and he's a bruiser and he has like the sexiest name on earth. His name is Santino. Like, holy shit. I was like, that is like a sexy name for a baby. Okay. But <laughs> it does not follow family tradition because he should be named after my father it's usually named after the paternal grandfather but you know i'm like it's no really like it's no aurelio my guess is that they're probably saving that for a girl aurelia like i'll just say that right now but because that's a really pretty girl's name so maybe they're saving that for a girl fine and they can't name them after the grandfather great-grandfather which is the other tradition because that's the name of their dog right so my great-grandfather's name is a curcio gus so can't name a curcio that's also like whoa that's mouthful dog name is gus but Here's here's where it gets really cute though. So first of all, I was like, Nick, that's such like a super sexy like ethnic name. Wow, that's awesome. Uh also named after two dead hypothetical fictional theoretical mobsters like <laughs> Sonny Corleone and Sonny from the Bronx Tale. I was like, I know those are two of your favorite movies. Did you in fact name this kid after like fictional mobsters? And he's like, kind of. It turns out that my great, my great, my grandfather, who my younger brother was really close to, his nickname as a child, so Curcio, Gus's nickname as a child, was Sonny. That's what he was known as on Mulberry Street and Moss Street. You know, Sonny funny. will be like the nickname to Santino. Sonny's going to be the nickname and his uh-huh. name is Santino. So it is like an homage to great grandpa Licata and grandpa Licata. Um, uh, you know, back at the, Back in the early days, roaming around Mott Street and Mulberry Street, which is for, if you don't know, that is like the heart of Little Italy in New York. Um, so it just, uh, and you know, it's freaking sunshine. Like to have a baby in the family after all this time, like it, it's sunshine. And I got to see like my niece, who my older brother's daughter, mm-hmm. his oldest born, you know, she's turning 21, holding her only cousin. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so cute. Like, I just, I can't put my hands down. Like, ah. And the big, oh, I want to meet him just to smell him. Dude, he's so, he has this little grumpy old man face. I just want to like, just, I just want to like snuggle him. I did, I was able to, I had a day where I got to babysit him because mom wasn't feeling so hot and my brother had a a dentist appointment. So like when he was like a week old, I had like a day with him and the dogs. And it was just like, it was like pure paradise. And the skills come back, like yeah, the diapering, the feeding, the like, you know, I was like, he really likes the sound of water. Like I brought him in the kitchen and put a little bed on, you know, on top of the, the counter and I'm running the water. And all of a sudden, like he went from whimpering to being like, 
<laughs> don't have to find those tricks early on. Oh my God. Like, so that is, this has been a source of like love and distraction. And I'm feeling really grateful for um, not being uh, fully employed at the moment because my parents came to visit. And it's like, these are the things that would be somehow would somehow have been awesome, but really frustrating to manage. Like I would not have been able to fully lean into them. Yeah. And I just like, I am so grateful that I have the time to fully lean into that. Yeah. Like, holy crap, Aaron, you were right. <laughs> you need that space. You need that ability. It does. And I also wanted to acknowledge um, the loss of Manny's dad. Um, yeah. Oh, wanted- we haven't talked yet yeah, so much. We haven't talked about that. And I think it's worth mentioning for a lot of reasons. Not not only because I snuck in giant bags of candy to your children at the wave. Uh, so Nicole came to my, my father-in-law, unfortunately passed away last month. Um, he had cancer. It was much quicker than we expected. That uh, he didn't suffer, all of that kind of stuff. But it was tough. And it was the kids' first close loss. And um, it was hard. You know, and and yeah. I was talking to them. They were asking about the weight. I was like, I, I don't just, like, I can't sugarcoat this. Like, it sucks. Like, there's, all, you know, here's all the reasons it's going to suck, but it's something we have Authentically, to it sucks. Here's why. And then Ella goes, is it food there? And I was like, no, it even, it even, and in fact, I didn't realize there's a lot in Connecticut that you cannot have food in the funeral home. There's funeral home. And this is why, like, Greeks and Irish and Italians, like, why we're like, God, weeks are terrible here. Yeah. That's why we did them in our own homes for so long, because you can't have food. Yeah. And Ella, like, wait, a Greek event with no food? Boy, this really is like death. Yeah, so Nicole brought like these amazing, of course, well, way over darn like gift bags of all kinds of candy and snacks and um, yeah, yeah, so it was it was it was really tough and yeah, um, and it was beautiful and it was you know and it was fun. We had you know we got to see a lot of people. We had a beautiful funeral, you know, you know, luncheon and um, so we had that and then. Just when we were recovering from that, I got a call from school uh, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, so a couple weeks after the funeral, um, that Mick, my 10, now 11-year-old, um, ran into a treat and was not doing well. And he plays every single day for, like, the last five years, they play football at recess. And it's, you know, it's highly competitive. It's a thing. Wait, wait. So this happened at recess, not on not hockey. Not in hockey. No. Oh, I thought this was a hockey injury. Okay. Um, I missed that. No. So he, um, in his words, he was doing a QB sneak and he saw the tree and thought, don't run into the tree. Then somebody came and two hand touched him. Mason was his name. I want to know. Mason came and two hand touched him and it changed his momentum. And he went flying full force because he wanted the touchdown into the tree. So he had, he had a big egg on his head. He had a spray oh on the, like the back part of his forehead, he knocked his his tooth is still broken, so he can't get him in. Uh, from from the you know, he didn't hit the tree with his mouth, but his his jaw went up. Um, and so I jumped off a car, I went to pick him up, and they wheeled him out in like a kid wheelchair, which I didn't even know they had at the school. And he still had his little New York Giant hockey gloves. I mean, um football gloves on his hands. So you picture him, he's in this wheelchair, he's got his gloves. Um, he didn't, he wasn't doing well though. And I thought, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's, I called the pediatrician, they couldn't get him in. So they sent me to the urgent care and they made an appointment. So we went home first 
thought, well, maybe he needs a little bit of ibuprofen. Like he does get headaches. He was in severe like head pain. Um, that didn't cut it. Long story short, I got to the urgent care about an hour later and the doctor walked in and was like, well, you can she said, do you want to drive him or do you want an ambulance? Um, oh my God. And I thought that- you went to the emergency room. I was, yeah, I was, I was five minutes out from the doctor and he was still so, such severe pain. But I thought, should I just go to CCMC? But, you know, I had this doctor lined up waiting for me. Five but then you don't know. You don't know. So anyway, he is okay. He is doing fine. He, um, we took him in the ambulance, but he never threw up. They did. So they never worried about, they never did a CAT scan. Um, he did start to improve after a couple hours, but he had a full on concussion, like massive, yeah, he had blurry, blurry vision. Um, he never lost light sensitivity, light, massive light sensitivity. Like he had a towel yeah. on his head, uh, the whole time we were doing the ambulance and everything couldn't do the light at all. Was he nauseous? Did he vomit? Not he not ever vomited. Uh, oh, gosh. Good. But and then, the news is it, it's all turned out. He actually got cleared to play hockey this morning, which is a big So. Here's the thing. We were going to Florida the next morning, which I assumed was going to be off. And the doctor said, no, I think it's actually okay. Once he had recovered and wasn't in much pain, he needs brain rest. And we were actually going down in part to see my parents. Well, the kids were totally going down to see my parents and stay at a retirement community. So, like, yeah, think a better place for brain rest than, you know, shuffleboard and come not, on. Not everybody is on their device there all day. We left, like, yep, we left his... I had it in room and he lived the retirement life for like Wait, four days. That might that might be my new favorite word. Like I need some fucking brain rest. Brain rest. I need brain rest. That is a, and the fact that you ended up at a retirement community so your kid can recover from a concussion. I love it. Perfect. Not we had lapping ethnic like, pain, but it's fun. Yeah. We had 87 degree weather, sunny every single day. It was gorgeous. Um and then this past weekend, although he didn't play, we went to all six games. We were in Danbury all weekends, which is super glamorous. Um, they won their state t- hockey tournament. So it was, it, was, it was awesome. And we made it to their go to regionals. And he now is cleared to play. So we'll be up in Maine in a couple of weeks for okay. like 10 year old. I mean, this is like, this is a shit. Like sometimes good shit comes out of bad shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, yeah. got some brain math they still played a great season the kids won now he's going to be jumping back in like great i mean i just i don't know i guess on all of this i've just been thinking a lot of like there's never enough time there's never enough time for anything there's never enough time for brain rest for family for friends for for anything so do your best to really live in the moment and it's so interesting because just last night i feel like part of our, our lesson for today that we can kind of get into is uh, Mick, well, my son, actually coached me last night in the really? in the area of let's just call it brain rest since that seems to be the theme. So yeah, I mean, so last last night, I guess it was early evening. Um, my daughter, what what happens in middle school is it's it's hard. Um, one, her school's 15 minutes away. Two, um, you no longer are the main point of communication. It's through the kids. And three, they don't seem <laughs> to plan things very well. So we're like in this transition. Basketball's over. Um, she is potential. She's going to try out for softball, but she might run track. And she she's also does this unified sports, which is working with special needs kids. And they put on mm-hmm. and 
So yesterday, last night, we find out basically that she has a game tonight that I didn't expect her to. And I'm jumping on the plane tonight to go to Nashville to speak tomorrow. And, you know, I I largely take care of this stuff because Manny's an hour away in New Haven. So it's probably hard for him to do any kind of shuffling, especially at, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So anyway, when I found out, because I had already kind of had solved for, for Wednesday, when I found out Tuesday, like, I, I, I literally just started having anxiety attack. No, maybe not literally. But if, for me, that's what it felt like. I just... It was too much. And I, and I vocalized that to Ella and not mad at her. It wasn't her fault, but I just, I started talking about like, I just, how anxious I felt. And I was like, I'm going to have an anxiety attack because you don't know when these things are popping up. I'm flying out. I have to keep relying on friends. We have to piece this together. Like I need to know. And, and then I was sitting with Mick helping him with his homework. And he just can turn into like a 30 year old like that. You know that, right? Like just, he goes from little bits to a right off, let his brain rest. Yeah. He goes from this social studies assignment where he's like, can't even like, he needs help forming the sentences around something really stupid. And next thing you know, I'm talking to like my 35 year old therapist. And the guru. Mom, 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 it's okay. It's going to be, okay. you just need, you need a reset. You need, what do you have? He goes, do you have time? On your calendar blocked off for lunch. No, I, I, you need to block off some time for lunch. And you also, what if you just take a day? He, and then he goes, how much, how much do you charge for coaching? How much an hour? And I like told him roughly. He's like, so like, for example, you take a day. Like, so you lose 4,000 pounds. It's okay, mom. Like he, he just goes into this whole thing. And he's like, he's like, yes, just value. Reset. And, and it was so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and in some ways he still doesn't get it, right? Like it's a lot to juggle, and they can't really totally understand the weight right. that we bear. You know, when when we're right, doing all the things. In the same sense, he's totally true. Like everything that I was anxious about in terms of work and things like that, you know, a lot of it comes back to like success and money and all these things that I'm not saying I don't need, but none of it is a, a desperate move for me, right? Like, and it is. It is way more important that I recognize that I have the power. And so I, I have to say, like, he kind of talked me down. And then I, I went and got my computer and sat at the table with him where he was doing his homework. And I just simply said, you know what, for the next six weeks, I'm blocking off my calendar from like, I think I blocked 3.30 to 5. And I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't think she's going to have stuff always during that time. But until I can figure out what the heck's going on? And I was like, and I- You bought that time back. I have the power to do that. I've got a few conflicts that I've already got scheduled or whatever. And I had the power to literally put that block on there, which again, the biggest thing that it helped was my anxiety, like immediately went down. Like the, it, it wasn't the logistics. It was- I think, what, in, well, I think what's so interesting about this is like, it comes back to something we were just talking, we were like chatting about earlier, just sort of offhandedly, where it's like, you know, how we value our own time and like what it's, it's very important, not just like how valuable it is to us, but literally how we measure our productivity and how that translates into like whatever framework we're using of, of valuation, whether it's dollars or sanity or time with our family, like and mixed interpretation of value with 
was is really like it's kind of evolved. It's just like the value to you is greater than the value of this time to you in the present moment is greater than the few the value of it to others at some point in the future. So like he clearly has a very strong sense of like that also that like it's valuable to you and also that if you value your time now, it's going to pay dividends in the future. Like he might not have vocalized that, but no, that's no, what he did. Well, you, oh my God, you're, so, you're totally right. You know what? I forgot what else have said. He, and I can't be as articulate as him. He also said to me, he said, mom, part of, oh God, I wish I could have recorded a part of what you're, you're, you're doing in your business. He actually said that if you take the time now, he said it might, you know, you might lose money or it might be harder, but in the long run, what you're trying to teach, it might be, might be sort of basically, he said, devalued because I'm not basically walking the walk is, is, is essentially what he explained to me is that if I don't do this, that my brand that I coach, that I teach around authenticity and also the value, it, that, that I'm going to destroy that more. And in the long run, that's going to hurt me. I, I don't, I can't even articulate it, but he, a thousand percent went down there. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, right? There's a lot to unpack here, right? Because it's not just like this moment you're feeling stressed about a basketball game. It's it, it it's really about like how what is what is the value of your time and what does productivity mean to you? And like Nick hit on one thing, like strong con like I love it. He's gonna be a guru economist, like strong concept of net present value and return on investment. Like love it, totally love it. But, you know, also the fact that, like, th this calls into mind something else we were talking about, too, which is the discount rate. Like, again, I love me and me and my economic terms. We love them. But the, but that con that concept of the discount rate was like everything that you're doing right now in, in all the time that you're spending, you know, you in all the time you've spent to this point, you've built up a lifetime of expertise. You've built up a lifetime of knowledge and learning. And you're putting that into your passion and your products and your talks, right? And so when you go to deliver some of these talks, like you're delivering a lifetime of learning. There's a there's a floor value right there that you have to hold firm on. And I know that some organizations, you know, have really wanted to talk to you and they've and and it's been complicated, right? Because they want to take an hourly fee and say, well, we're gonna have you for this amount of time and we're gonna pay for this. And it's like, that's that's not what people are paying for. They're not paying for your minutes. They're they're not paying for your moments. They're paying for your lifetime of knowledge. That's why when people see like, oh, the speaker is $10,000 or $20,000, it's like whether they talk to you for a minute or they talk to you for an hour, it's it's like you have to hold steady on some of those values, on, on you know the value of your time. You have to hold steady on that because there there's a there's a floor, you know? There's a floor. And and they're not you're not provide. You're not cranking a crank for twenty minutes, right? You're not like I'm going to crank this crank for twenty minutes so you can pay me per crank. Like, no, we have a lifetime of cranking. They're buying the lifetime package. If they want to shove that lifetime of shit into twenty minutes, that's their choice. Hey, girl, what's up? Well, this weekend I put aside watching Bridgerton episode five in order to binge on your new book. What does that tell the world? Well, that's pretty sad. You need to go back and watch that episode. But yeah, the book is out. You Do You-ish is out on Amazon. And I am blown away by the feedback that I'm getting on the book. 
Yuish is awesome because Yuish finished this project in a super timely manner and delivered us something that is delicious, devourable, funny, easy to enjoy, and it's practical and you get a lot out of it. Maybe not as much as Bridgerton episode five, <laughs> but it's pretty good. Well, pretty close. Well, check it out, guys. Uh, more stories about Nicole in there. More fun, more inspiration. You can simply go to Amazon and search You Do You-ish. Enjoy. We were texting about this and stuff, and I was, and I, I, we were, ha- I, I didn't articulate that, but that was in my mind. I was like, they're not paying for pranks. What people are paying for is a lot yeah. of time. But, you know, hello, International Women's Day. Can we talk about how hard it is for women to, like, identify their value, hold on to their value, speak to their value, hold the floor under their value? Because I'm struggling with this. I struggled that when I, you know, wanted to get a promotion and a raise. I've struggled with this over the last couple of months as I try to develop something new for myself. Like my concept around like what makes me valuable has always been more about the cranking. Well, I'm being productive. I'm getting paid. You know, that I have, I've had a really hard time putting concerted energy and time and effort into doing stuff that doesn't result in a paycheck because my, my brain is messed up around this. Regarding me as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, holds true for everybody. I mean, so just to go, you know, that again, you know, as a speaker, one of the biggest misconceptions is that you're paying for, you know, the hour they're on stage or the 30 minute uh, virtual talk or whatever. The crank. The crank. (laughs) The crank. And the reality is you're paying for, first of all, logistically, there's the preparation, the meetings, the you know, the build up to actually doing that. So there is literally more time than the hour right. or whatever. But more than that, you know, you are paying for not only, for example, for me, my experience, you know, building and leading and turning around a major company, writing a book, now doing research, which we're going to put out next month. Um, you know, all of the work that's been put and thought that's put into it, that then brings value to you. But that's important because it's no different than you, listener, than you, Nicole, than anybody, especially if you're sitting here and you are kind of rounding the corner of second base and you're kind of, you know, let's call it second half-ish of your career. You're mid to late 30s. And I find this with so many of my clients that they have it turned from the value is the crank. I I use the analogy of, I love the crank because I use the analogy of a roller coaster. And your career is kind of like a roller coaster. Yes, at the beginning, what do you do? You're cranking. You're cranking up this really big hill, right? Crank, 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 crank. And if you're like me, you're shitting bread soups. I hate roller coasters. But you're going up this really big hill. And then so many people get to there and like at 35, 38, whatever, when you've got enough time cranking and they keep cranking and they don't realize actually if you let go, you can go on a roller coaster and that doesn't mean that it's all downhill like any roller coaster is up it's down right but it's not the same crank and maybe in the middle like there's going to be a time where you have to crank again because you're going to go down another big hill and the what it comes down to is that you can stop and pause and not just have the cones the guts the like oh i'm valuable like the confidence but what i think a lot of people are missing is that is the self-reflection, is the introspection, is the, yeah, is with clients all the time. Well, how did you, you know, ask them questions like, what made you successful? How did you do that? Like, and they're like, I don't know. That's just what I do. I work hard. And, and we not all on ourselves by having mm-hmm. an introspection to say, 
like for me, my introspection was right that I used authenticity and right strategy. But it could, it doesn't have to be just how you got there. It doesn't it, it can be your thoughts on you know the economy and and it right. your leadership, your point of view, um, the issues you really care about. Maybe you lead operations, but right. you're super super passionate about um, you know people of color and you and you lead uh, seminars and sections and you write blogs about that. Like being a thought leader, which I think is a yeah um, yeah, it most people know more in the corporate world that is where the real fun happens. That's when the end start to say, like, I go into meetings, my value is much higher than the hour you have me in this meeting because I have collected, I've curated, and I've had the guts to to share my point of view and my perspective and my knowledge in a way that's very different than that first half of my career. It's so interesting that you say that because the HBR... um, uh, Harvard Business School, I think, or maybe I can't remember the, the idea cast this week. I haven't looked into it yet. The theme is you're one of the big things that diversity are missing out on age. And, um, you know, age sort of often translates to experience. And, and this is a complicated one that I, I think this is one of the biggest challenges, particularly in corporate America, is the rub between age, you know, young, innovation, cheaper, energetic versus older. They're sort of seen as, you know, Older workers are sometimes either held on golden pedestals or seen as, you know, somewhat holding things back. But like there's this there's this beautiful mix where like the energy and passion of young workers with their new ideas and new education is tied with like lifetime experience of like older workers. I'm like, but I do think sometimes like that age and experience kind of thing is lost in the it, it has been getting lost lately in the diversity conversation. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you brought it. Somebody, up. you know what? Somebody to 28 could be better at really starting to have uh, this point of view, this thought leadership and starting to create totally. well beyond time better than somebody that's 56. And I think that's part of the point. Like, yeah, general, your age should give you an advantage because you've got more data points that you can collect and a yep. mosaic that you can make and the point of views that you can curate and craft, but I just don't think people, um, one, they don't have the space, which is a lot of what we're talking about. That's a lot of it. That's a lot of it. But that's your number one job is to have the space, have the time, have the right. action. And the more you can start saying, okay, my value on the other part of the roller coaster is different than the beginning. It's different from the crime. You can own that. And that's, you know, that's something that people that I, that want to get promoted and I talk with, and it's not applicable on all of them. But a lot of times that's missing. When I ask them, I'll ask, you know, questions like, if you were to do a TEDx tomorrow, wh- what would you talk about? And when somebody doesn't have, even if it's not particulate, right? Like, but the, the, the topic is, you know, maybe the subject is, they're, they clump a little bit, but if they literally can't hone in on something they're passionate about that they could talk about on a TEDx stage, regardless of whether they want to be a speaker, something like a thought or an idea to share um then we have work to do you know maybe it's not the TEDx stage maybe it's a megaphone on top of a rock in a park uh that you want to shout about whether it's within the workplace and specific maybe it's you know how you feel about customer service experience in this one particular thing but it can't it can't be superficial it can't be uh, you know i care i care about like this broad broad issue like the more it's based on lived experience it's based on something that's that that has impacted your life i think that's a i think that's that this is one of your like fill in the blank brilliant moments like where you're like 
if we're giving our leadership a test to know like how qualified they are to be leaders or how mature they are ready to be leaders, to ask them what their what their big thing is. Like, what's your TEDx talk? What's the thing that you stand for? And if they can't articulate that, I, I think that's potentially a challenge. I mean, I think that's something that all leaders should ask their people. I think that's something that people should ask their leaders. It's like, what, what do you stand for? I mean, I, I, I honestly think this is something brilliant. I, I really do. Because we are not asking this often of our leaders. And one of the things that I hear a lot and get asked all the time is like, well, how do you know? I feel like I'm doing all these things. How do I know when it's time to go? Well, like if you're being a thought leader and you're doing these things and you're passionate and you're bringing ideas and experience and you're, you know, bringing together people and ideas and all of this stuff and you either feel like you're being limited or undermined, like go, you go find a new environment to go live your truth, go speak your truth. Not everybody's going to be open to it. And frankly, I mean, I've certainly worked in a lot of organizations where there were some shining stars and example of leadership. There also was the majority of time, people who have followed the rules, kept quiet, done what they needed to do, kissed the right ass, and stayed under the radar, either burning the crack until somebody else got out of the way. Either they stepped out of line, they retired, or they just somehow managed to eliminate all the competition around them. I have seen that a thousand times. That's the norm. And that sucks. What we're saying is like, there's a better way to be a leader and there's a better way to, there's a better way to be a leader. There's a better way to become a leader. There's a better, there's just a better culture altogether. And a lot of it has to do with how we value ourselves. And, and I don't think start big. Like, I don't want people to think about what their, their TEDx talk or what their megaphone moment is, does not have to be, you know, like mine is, you know, authenticity in the workplace or authenticity strategy it even can start smaller, right? It can start with, you know, your firm belief in how great emails are written for crying out loud. But the fact that you've taken the time to really curate things you've learned and understand and shared that with others, whether you people that report to you or not, and work that muscle around, you know, doing the crank, but also and leading in general, but being a thought leader, and I think, I think it can start really, really small. And I think it starts with reflection and I think it starts with awareness. And then that, once you can start doing that, then this whole concept of like valuing your time and, you know, the confidence you can have to ask for more, expect more. I, I don't think you can do it until you have that. I don't think you can just be a good leader and be a good cranker. I think you have to have the third leg of the stool. You truly want to leverage you want to have a leveraged life, a leveraged career, um, and make an impact. And, and yeah, no, it's, it's something we haven't talked about. It's something I feel really passionate about, especially because I think I didn't realize how much I was missing it until I had the space. And then I started, yeah, you know, I wrote yeah. 37 pages of blogs in like a hockey, like arena after like two money practices. Um, but then also just talking with so many clients where I sort of expect that and some it does I had some clients it comes pouring out but there are many of them where they've never really thought about that and they're they're well into their 40s they're well you know into 20 years into their career and and the good news is it's about awareness as soon as they realize like they haven't taken the time the space it's not like they don't have thoughts uh, but they don't understand how critical of a planet that is to really been surging the rest of your you know, 
The one thing that's really um, shown up for me in the last couple of weeks since I've, you know, left my sort of high-powered position, and this has been really hard to contend with, and I think important to contend with, but one thing that I'm really facing is that I find myself getting defensive when people say, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with yourself? And I'm getting very defensive about it or what happened, right? Like very defensive. And I don't like how I'm showing up and it's frustrating me. And one thing that I can say, and and probably it's not great and I need to work on this and maybe I'm grateful for the time to work on it. But what's happening is that I have, you know, I value myself because I see myself as a success. I see myself as someone who has made it on their own. I'm independent. I'm, you know, financially stable. I've come from nothing and become something more or less. But I value all of my self-worth and value has been based on an identity as a worker and as someone who makes a salary and someone whose time is rewarded by dollars in a regular interval. And now that I have lost the regular interval, so I do something and I have something to show for it and someone, I'm also of value to someone's Rolodex and someone is kissing my ass or telling me I'm fabulous. Like without those things, I have had a lot of moments where I have felt very stuck. I have felt very low. And this is probably not a surprise to anybody on this podcast who knows me. They probably expected me to be in this dip of the roller coaster, which is like everything that's possible ahead of me. I'm having a hard time figuring out what that is because I've never had to contend with these emotions before of everything, all of these pillars that made me feel like I was a person of value. I have value. They are now gone. And not every day do I wake up feeling like I have value or something to show for it. And so when someone says to you, well, what are you doing with your time? Or how are you making money? Like that hurts. Like it hurts to the point where like I've cried over it. And that's not because people are trying to make me feel bad. It's because I'm having a hard time figuring out what next looks like or not even that, but how do you get from point A to point B? How long does it take there? How much energy do you put into it? How much, what's the trade-off of doing A versus B? Like these are all necessary steps and they're not bad steps. Everybody, every person trying to change their lives or whatever, go through these steps. But it has been very emotional for me to, um, you know, recognize that one of my major things that sort of kept me moving forward and probably cranking the crank was this, this basically false sense of value. Yeah. But it was like a drug. It made me feel good. Now the drug is gone. And I don't feel, you feel good and it made you feel bad, right? Like it gave you a hangover and then it made you feel good. And then it gave you a hangover. It was, it's an addiction. It was just like the adrenaline. It was a fucking addiction. Yeah. But you know, you take the addiction away and you sometimes feel like, okay, what am I replacing it with? I have to replace it with healthy behaviors. Okay. So I'm working on that, but it's not, you know, but not I, easy. I have a you know? right now, just maybe listen, she listened to one of our other ones that is going through this from the other end. She's ready to make the leap. But one of her biggest fears is being able to, not being able to articulate what are you now, right? Like, and she's got a job that's very, it's one of those professions, one of the top five that a kindergartner would name on, right? It's, it's a very well-defined, well-respected, tangible job, perfection title. And um, she's ready, she's ready to make the leap. She doesn't have any concerns about like the details, but we come to this realization that 
being able to have that, here's what I'm doing. I am a blank is one of the things she fears the most. So she, if she's listening, she probably really relate with this. It probably also probably set her back a half her thoughts. But I would say, um, I think it matters. Like having that response ready to go matters. It and it matters. And I encourage you to think about what that is and how you um, package up what this time is for you. Right. Not only because not that other people have to know it, but it'll make you feel better. And it'll just make it easier. Because I think most of the people are asking that, not because they're trying to attack you. They're asking it because they're robots and these are just kind of the things you don't like. It's curiosity. Because most people are jealous. They're like, I don't want to be a zookeeper anymore either. I mean, obviously, if it's top five for questions, she's clearly a zookeeper. So I'm just going to be like, you know, why don't why aren't you a zookeeper anymore? You know, well, there's a lot of reasons not to be a zookeeper anymore, you know, like keeping the keeping the animals contained. It's hard work. They shit everywhere. They have to eat constantly. You got to keep them caged and fed. You got to deal with all these visitors and customers. I mean, being a being a zookeeper is like 1% fun and 99% bullshit, right? Everybody feels the same way, you know, but I'm up with you what you are. I mean, that's where you're brilliant, right? If you, you put a title behind it, like, and have it, you know, and what I'm having her do right now for homework is write down just 20, like, puke out 20 different words or phrases and things to describe what you are and then name what it is. You're saying, you know, a break. I don't know. I have like the opposite problem because I have about 50 different things that are materializing for me that I want to work on. And my brain is not allowing me to focus and function on any one thing. And because I feel like they're not instantly tied to productivity and value. And so I need to make that break. I need to make that break so that I can focus on the a thing or the thing or something because I'm, I'm too scattered. And then I find it on a Tuesday and I haven't done a fucking thing. Right. Then all those things. Yeah. You know, what's the one that you want to say that you are? Not because it sounds good, but because it's the one that you're most excited and passionate about. And maybe time bound it too to say, okay, Nicole, like you're going to do this. You're going to block it on your calendar and you're going to give yourself two days to figure out how to build it. Start experience. calling yourself that. Like, so we talked about, right. call yourself this and you're right going to do all the ideas you have. If this blogging thing, which you keep talking to me about and this idea, which seems like you're passionate, but I would say, write down all the things, but then Do figure it. out what you want to call yourself for the next two months. I'm so scattered. It, like this goes back to what Mick was saying. There's so many different things that, is, that my energy is being clawed to right now by all these different ideas and interests and people and disparate things that don't fill. That like I am just I can't figure out how to put enough time to make anything. Me value. I really want you to list it all, and I want you to cross out ninety percent of it. Yeah. And, and I have to be okay with that. Yeah. But you know what? It, you know, one of the other tricks that like, it may, it is like the, the need to do the want to do and the other shit that people want me to do. Like yeah. I need it potentially do some of that because a lot of what's on my list is other shit that people want me to do. And, and maybe, I want you to do what you think you'll actually do though, because we've talked about a lot of these different techniques and then they don't like they, right. Then you get distracted by the other things. What I do. It, what do you think would help you the most? So there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways. What do you think would help you the most focus your time, your energy, and take action around one or two things, not 10? Yeah, I think just may- maybe like 
I have to just make some decisions. Like I haven't made any decisions and like done the things and I keep allowing new things to pop up and whatever. And I think it's fine for the first month or so because I was trying to figure out where I wanted to put my energy and now I have to like make some decisions. And sometimes it's hard to, to make decisions. So, you know, that, I think the best way to make those decisions is what's the action stuff that you need to. I guess I just, I guess I need to, yeah, like let's like actually, I mean, I spend a lot of time writing lists, but probably need to not just write a list, but then I, I need to come up with a bit of a schedule. I hate planning, but I have to do some planning and just say, because this is the kicker for me. It's not that I don't want to do the work. I will do the work. It's that if I do not pre-plan the time, it's not even that it doesn't happen to me. Here's what happens in Nicole's head. It's that I do not feel like the time is valuable or I cannot ascribe value or productivity to it. And then I get frustrated. I get angry. I get, I beat myself up. And so if I don't say, okay, Nicole, you're going to spend all of Friday working on this idea and see where you get with it. And you commit in your mind that that is going to happen. I no matter, I could come up with the best freaking idea and spend all day Friday doing it. If I don't tell myself that that is okay, mm-hmm. I will make myself miserable. How do you, how do you tell yourself it's okay? What do you think? I've been trying to deal with my own psychology for 45, almost 46 years. I mean, this is a really hard thing for me. This is a very hard thing for me. I, if I am not constantly feeling productive and like my time has value that is recognizable to other people, either in dollars or accolades, I have a very hard time doing it. This is why I have very, so I'm going to be straight up. I don't, I don't, I don't know on record. With our listeners, I know I've told you this before. You, I've told you this before. You are going to continue to spend unless you have coach or therapist or both. Period. End of story. I, I don't know what else to say. I know, I know I sort of put you here, but it's different. We're friends. This is not, it's not a prescribed relationship. Knowing the people out there that have therapists, coaches, or both. The millions of people that that it's helped and that it's been critical, and knowing the kind of person you are that you just described, the fact that you've continued to like try to do this alone is nuts. Well, I agree, but like the funny thing is, is that I this might sound wildly crazy, but I have been. Uh, it hasn't always been pretty, but I have been wildly successful in most of my life doing it on my own. So it is hard to recognize when you get to a point where in order to get to the next step, not just like success at the level that you've had it, because like I'm not in a place of not success. I'm not in a place of failure. I'm in a place of incredible success. I am now trying to get to a better place with different things. To say to yourself, like, I definitely could use some resources in this, like, that's a big thing to commit to, like to really, really commit to it because I've also dabbled in it. Like I, part of what I have done in the last couple of months to dabble in that. And I do see value in it. I just haven't exactly landed in the right spot yet. So I've continued, like you said, to be introspective about like, what is my thing? You know, what gets me to the next level? I'm very aware that I don't want to end up in a bad place. I do frustrate myself. And I've been very honest with listeners that one of my biggest challenges is I frustrate myself. So, you know, 
I, I, I am aware that investing in these things and trying to invest in them is, is part of the solution. It's like, in the meantime, you know, in the meantime, how do you rewrite your own, you know, your own psychological interstate highway? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that, and, um, you know, that is something that continues to be a challenge to me and probably is a challenge to others, particularly when the triggers are external, right? The triggers can be, well, what are you doing with yourself or, you know, whatever. Like, so really for me, it's been about like trying to take the triggers, you know, deal with the triggers, understand why it's triggering me. Like I'm doing a lot. Yeah, and I, I think you know? it's an amazing job. And I know I'm really, really tough on you. I, at the same time, I, I think the things you described are are real and are going to be challenging if, if, if you truly want to take a path that's maybe not as traditional as you've taken in the past. Um, I, I think it's just about impossible to do it on your own. I mean, I... Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I have, I have two coaches right now. You know that. I don't know that I've fully committed to that yeah. either. So, you know, there's a bit of like, I haven't like fully committed to what the, the path is. And so, you know, that that's part of it. Right. So I think, but, but you're right. Like somebody even just maybe even in accountability or like, you know, you have so like, and the reason I just get so, or ah, you have so much value. So, and you, you know this, but you don't know this, right? Like you have so much value in your writing, you're performing, you're, um, even your ability to consult and do other things. I just, I really want you to have the support you need to be able to focus and take those actions. I, I think that's a, I think that's really a very strong point is that like, if you want to level up, like, yeah, you, you know, you need a team to do it. Right. We could only, we could all only take ourselves so far. Right. You, you it, hire two very, very expensive teams in your last time. They're called Yale and Johns Hopkins. <laughs> I did. I did. Right? Your success was not on your own. You hired Yale and Johns Hopkins. It's true. Hundreds that's true. Hundreds of dollars. That's true. They can hire somebody to support you on a custom basis. That's not what's the the next, right? What's, what's the next, what's the next thing? Yeah. What's the next thing? And there's always a million reasons not to do a thing, whether it's finances or health or other complications. And one thing that I'm very good at is allowing myself to, to take on other things because I'm uncomfortable in a moment or because I don't feel like something has value. So let me go do something immediately that feel like proud of me. It's totally what you do. It's totally normal. Like you are normal. Totally normal. You are. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's forward moving, right? So you but know, normal. it's so normal, especially if you've been out 30 years or, or 20 some years. Yeah. Working with Frank of the Crank. Frank of the Crank. And I just, you know, to all the zookeepers out there who are going to not be zookeepers anymore, like, I want to say, like, I understand what it's like to, you know, all of a sudden not be a zookeeper and have to come up with the narrative under really hard circumstances, whether it was a job interview yesterday where people were like, hey, what's your definition of leadership? And I was like, I basically was like, ah, such a boring question. Like, I didn't say it like that, but I was like, <laughs> my answer was like, what else? Right. Well, I gave a good answer, but I was like, well, you know, I said... I hope, I don't know if I said it this well, but I said, look, I hope that I show up as a leader in a lot of different capacities. I said, in this specific role, you've got to, it sounds like there's a couple things going on. You're going to be a leader of people. You also have to be, you know, it's a public service job. So you have to be a leader for the community, your constituents, your customers. And also you have to be a leader for, you know, the general public. And then you're going to have to be a leader for your your team, for your colleagues, even for the people above you, right? So I was like, those are three 
different ways of showing up as a leader, right? I know they probably wanted me to say like, I use 90 day plans and races or something. (laughs) And so I said, you know, I'm someone who, I didn't use the word authentic, but I was like, I am someone who shows up all the time the same way. And then I I sort of have three principles. I said, there's, there's consistency. Like I, I do and say exactly what I mean. And I do it for everybody. There's no special deals. There's nothing, you know, if I'm administering a thing, it's, you know what it is and why you may not like it, but I'm going to do it a certain way. And I said, I'm totally transparent. So it doesn't mean I'm a great communicator, but I am totally transparent. And I said, I am excellent. I bring my best to every situation. I said, if that's not the definition of leadership in every capacity, then I don't know what is. They kind of looked at me and stared blankly at me and then went on to the next question. But I kind of was like, maybe that's food for thought. And if they don't like that definition, then that ain't the place for the zookeeper. That's your point of view. Right. You brought your point of view. You brought your period of thought. You were a thought leader. And you were, you were yeah. a leader. I'm like, you were a leadership. They asked me how I motivate people too. And I was like, oh God. I was like, I was like, come on, look at this hair. Like, this is motivation. <laughs> I tell jokes. No, I did not say that either. I came up with some terrible example. I, the good thing about interviewing is that if you haven't interviewed in eight to 10 years, um, one, it hasn't changed that much. It still sucks. Two, Zoom <laughs> is terrible. Let's do a whole episode on Zoom interviews. Holy shit, does that suck? Especially if like someone like me, like you have a hard time focusing on one person, focusing on five people as they constantly move around the screen as they come in and out. Zoom interviews are cruel and unusual punishment. Okay. But also like you forget how to interview. Like you do. Like you start, you forget how to interview. And then like, it's good practice to be like, Oh yeah, like I've got like my bag of tricks and like I kind of have a guess what they're gonna ask me and I can come up with like reasonably interesting things to say. I'm not a good preparer. I like to like talk off the cuff, but look, there are some basic things they ask you in basic interviews. And yeah, it's pretty different. I know. I I could prepare. I could prepare better. We'll have to do an episode on heat zing interviews. Oh Oh, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. But we get to be interview on some tips. I mean, an episode on some interviewing. Yeah, let's 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 do it. Let's do our next episode on interviewing, and I will tell my hilarious horror stories that of my current experiences, <laughs> and also some positive ones. But I certainly have, I certainly have the white mouse dudes. Yeah, and like and like the not just tips and tricks, but also like the stuff you see over and over again, like you know things to watch out for. Oh yeah, I got I got some good learning, Aaron. So maybe that's next. I'm into you. Well, since we value the time of our listeners, we've either gone well over or Rachel's cut the crap out of this episode or it's maybe two episodes. We'll see. We haven't talked in forever. No, I just want to, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've said this before, but I've been listening to a lot of Lauren Hill lately. Um, I just love her. Like she's just soulful and like, She's got this song that's been around for like a decade and I keep hearing it on the radio. So I feel like it's God's work and it's everything is everything. It's beautiful if you haven't heard it. And like the last, um, like the refrain of it is she says, um, everything is everything. Uh, like what is meant will be after winter must come spring, change, it comes eventually. And it's like, I just keep hearing that in my head. And I'm like, end into spring, baby. And then hopefully, hopefully there won't be a recession. Hopefully we'll be out of this shit war, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, be on to the next big thing and COVID will continue to abate. But like, 
whatever, whatever it is, change is, change comes eventually. Yep. And whatever it is, we will be here to randomly talk about it. Hey girl, I cannot believe that we have recorded over 50 episodes from the virtual couch every week, but we don't make any bank. We're doing this for the love and not for the money. Yeah, can I be honest? I kind of thought we'd kill each other by this point. So, resident do-gooder, what can people do to help us keep going? Well, since you asked, a couple of things. One, you can rate or review the podcast on your favorite app. That would be awesome. You can subscribe and get us in your favorite podcast app feed weekly. Also awesome. You don't even have to look for us. But most importantly, share the love. Let people know your virtual secret. You're hanging out here and you're getting some virtual work-life therapy and everything in between. Invite a friend and expand their virtual universe. And the reason why? Because it's bold, it's badass, and it's basically better than drinking alone. <laughs>